That'll be great, Coop. I can't wait to watch. Um, I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. Donald Trump is a big headline. Everybody's talking about it. But I think we got to get the context right. Donald Trump is suing the January 6th committee and the National Archives. Why? We'll go into the details and the legalities or lack thereof. But here's the real answer. He's doing it to delay. And before you take any satisfaction in that, it may well work. The former president's not putting any muscle behind blocking Bannon or any of the other people the committee wants to testify. Why? Well, instead, Trump's lawyers are focusing on stopping what they may really be worried about, what they call, quote, sweeping requests for documents and records. Why? Because people can control what they say. They can spin. They can say they don't recollect. They can explain. Documents don't. So keep in mind, for all the bluster about executive privilege, when it comes to Bannon, committee chair Congressman Benny Thompson says, quote, the former president has not communicated any such assertion of privilege when it comes to his conversations with a man who at the time was the host of a podcast, not a close counselor as part of the government. Meaning the only legal claim of privilege we've seen from Trump is about the documents. So the party uh, that he is targeting, the National Archives, told him, quote, absent any intervening court order, they plan on handing the records over. And they should. Why? Because in a statement from the White House, Joe Biden, president now, is standing by his decision to not assert privilege because, quote, former President Trump abused the office of the presidency and attempted to subvert a peaceful transfer of power. Remember, Everything about how this privilege and how it has been exercised suggests it is the sitting president with the power to assert executive privilege, period. Sitting president. Again, why does this matter to Trump? This isn't about why Biden does or doesn't want to exit. He can do whatever he wants. Okay, he doesn't even have to explain it when it comes to the privilege. Documents can't plead the fifth. They can't suddenly claim not to remember. If anybody knows the value of documents, it is Donald Trump. He spent his presidency fighting to keep documents like his taxes and bank loans away from you in Congress. The one document he was quick to hand over, remember the transcript of his so-called perfect phone call? It got him impeached. My next guest knows the importance of documents. He was special counsel in that impeachment. Norm Eisen, welcome back. Uh, neither of us is surprised by this move, but maybe the form the move takes is a little surprising to you. What do you think of it in terms of its tactic and its likelihood of success? Uh, Chris, <clears throat> thanks for having me back on the program. Um, we talked about this uh, as one of the strategies. Would the committee be um, forced to make the first move to enforce, or would Trump go to court to block? Um, I do not think that uh, this uh, lawsuit uh, that was filed today uh, is going to um, result in uh, the withholding of these documents. The president is essentially making two arguments, Chris. He's saying, first, this is an overbroad subpoena. 
The committee is asking for too much. And second, that even if it's not overbroad, these documents are protected by executive privilege, the confidentiality that the law enshrines for presidential communications. But Chris, when you look at the underlying purpose of this committee and the law that applies, that you need to have a valid legislative purpose, what could be more important than investigating an insurrection against the United States? So clearly, this is not overbroad. They're doing their job. And then on executive privilege, the complaint talks again and again about the president. But Donald Trump is not the president. Joe Biden is the president. Joe Biden is the one who decides whether to apply these confidentiality rules. And he said no as to the initial set of documents. So I don't think it will work. And as you point out, it's a delay game. Nobody's had the chutzpah to make these arguments before. And Donald Trump is hoping to tie up the courts in the uh, uh, aspiration that Congress flips and he gets out of his subpoenas. Let's litigate. The delay works because even garbage takes time to be thrown out. Uh, he's going to put it in. They're going to have to can't, uh, calendar it. They're going to have to have hearings. They're going to have to have pretrial hearings. Uh, they're not going to do what you, know, you and I would call an Article 78 proceeding, which is some speedy one and done, uh, even if he gets uh, an unusually conscientious judge who deals with this with all celerity of dispatch very quickly, then he can appeal. And then he likely can appeal that appeal. And this kind of question, who knows that the Supreme Court doesn't think it's interesting to talk about. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, it's a risk. There's no doubt about it. He had success with it when he was in the White House. But Chris, he's not in the White House now. He's bringing this lawsuit. The burden is on him. Um, and, I, 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 you know, the courts can move fast when it's an emergency. Uh, in the historic uh, Nixon White House tapes case, four months, Chris, we, this is an emergency. You and I have talked about this. Our democracy is under attack. Donald Trump's attacks, his big lie-driven assault on our democracy has not stopped. It's intensifying. The courts need to handle it with dispatch. Congress needs to ask them to move very quickly. And Chris, it's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to Americans to say, hey, this is important. Don't drag your feet. It can move quickly if the courts decide to do it. It is a novel question, though. This has never been litigated. Um, we only have the course of performance that we've never seen an exercise of this privilege by a former president. They always uh, ask a sitting president. But this idea about the president has no precedent in the law. And that means even if it's four months, Norm, that's a long time in this current climate, isn't it? Um, well, if they can move that quickly, uh, Chris, uh, that'll be a um, modern day miracle. We should insist on it. Um, but uh, I think that the, um, you know, when you look at the underlying arguments here, they don't have to uh, cause the courts to delay simply because Donald Trump is the first one to have the chutzpah to make some of these arguments doesn't mean it should slow things down. That's why we started with the urgent national imperative to get at the truth of the ongoing assault 
on our elections and on our democracy. So uh, um, these, uh, the novelty of these questions does not have to be the mere fact, Chris, that no former president has ever asserted separation of powers, uh, that uh, these kinds of arguments are being made. None has ever taken on a current president on the assertion of executive privilege. It does, the courts can reject it, and they should, because they're not good arguments. Right, but I'm not talking about the conclusion, I'm talking about the timing. And it seems that just by doing this, hasn't he bought himself and his main guys who are subpoenaed until after the holidays at a minimum? Uh, not necessarily. What's gonna happen now is, uh, when I checked the docket, it was not in the docket. He, if he wants this to move quickly, he's gonna have to seek a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction. He's gonna have to ask the court to make a fast decision. He's gonna bear a heavy burden in doing that, Chris. He's gonna have to show a strong likelihood of success on the merits. We've just talked That's about a good point. the reasons that a former president That's a good can't point. do that. So he's gotta meet that hurdle. He'll have to meet it again. Look, the Supreme Court, if it ends up there, they rejected his attempt to get a second bite at the apple in the Mazars case about his financial documents summarily. So things can move quickly. We need to treat it as an emergency. Congress needs to ask the courts. It's incumbent on the courts to listen and on all of us to say, hey, this is not business as usual. We want the rocket docket for the sake of our democracy. That's a good point. Um, just very quickly, Norm, who decides whether or not um, he needs a TRO or a preliminary injunction in order to stop the subpoenas from being enforced? Well, he's going to have to move for it. So in the first instance, it why would be he? him and what if, his What if he says, let's just litigate this lawyers. and do the ordinary course of time and not ask for anything like that? Then, as uh, you quoted the archivist, if there's no binding court order, so that's what they'd then, have to do. Uh, then this complaint is does not take effect and the documents can be turned over. Mm. So he's going to have to move if he wants to block it. Right. So uh, he's we'll going to have to move. He, he knows these are not good arguments. He knows this is a delay game. So we'll see if he tries to do that or so not. So he's going to have to move uh, for this type of relief. Uh, and so he will be actually setting up an accelerated timeline because those things have to be handled very quickly. And even the appeals are handled quickly. That Those are good points uh, that I hadn't focused on. And that makes me feel differently about the timing. Norm Eisen, as always, you are value added and a plus. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right. So maybe it won't be as good a delay tactic uh, as it looks at the outset. We'll see. And we'll see sooner rather than later. Norm is right. To our other top story, the great loss of a great statesman and a military hero, General Colin Powell. Gone at age 84, Powell warned the Republican Party about Trump before he chose to leave it. Or maybe it left him. Now he's left us at a time when the country may need him most. And maybe in passing from this life, his life will be something that can pass on to the rest of us about what the message is and how he lived. You're about to hear what may have been the former Secretary of State's final interview and the reason that he matters now as much as ever, even because of how he died. I'll explain next.
Colin Powell looms large in passing. The flag is now flying half-staff at the White House in his honor. And in the hope that his family takes some measure of solace in knowing that the general mattered so much in so many different ways, I hope they will see his example, even in passing, will serve as testament to his leadership. And I'll, I'll explain. I hope by now you understand that Colin Powell was a man in full. He was a public servant, patriot, warrior, leader, American of the highest order, son of Jamaican immigrants, again, a four-star general, Purple Heart recipient, statesman, shattered racial barriers. He was a minority who rose above the majority. First black national security advisor under uh, President Reagan. Then the first black chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under the first President Bush. Then the first black secretary of state under the second President Bush. Also a two-time recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The list of accomplishments, I mean, you can Google it. It's just fascinating. Powell was only 84. Gone too soon. But you know what? Sometimes things happen when they do for a reason. And I believe his death should establish him as a leader once more because Powell's death is going to serve as a reminder of the risks that COVID poses. Powell was vaccinated, but he hadn't gotten his booster and he likely needed it because, as we're just learning now, Colin Powell was very sick. He had a bad form of cancer. He was also fighting Parkinson's disease. So when he was exposed to COVID, he just did not have enough protection. Powell was adamant about being vaccinated because he was at high risk. He was obviously immunocompromised. The vaccine may have bought him time. The booster, if he had been healthy enough to get it, may have bought him some more, but he was too sick to take it. His loss is a reminder of why we all need to get vaccinated, not just to protect ourselves, but the vulnerable like him. There are many who can't get vaccinated, but even people like the general, and there's so many in that generation, even when they're vaccinated, the vaccine's not perfect. And they are vulnerable. And if they're exposed to somebody, they can still get sick. Powell was strong in the face of a challenge, medically and politically. I don't want to talk about him just as he died, uh, but that matters too. He did something, you know, that we never see today. He admitted he was wrong for passing bad information and making the case to go to war in Iraq. And that gave him accountability, it gave him credibility. And that allowed him to call out others. And he did it once again, very uncommonly when no one was doing it in his party, he condemned the cowards in his own party or what was his party for refusing to stand up after the big lie, January 6th. CNN just got our hands on what may have been Powell's final interview on July 12th. It's with Bob Woodward, legendary journalist, for his book, Peril. Take a listen. Got rid of a president. Pardon? Who was not reelected. Yeah. Refuses to acknowledge he wasn't reelected. He has people who go along with him on that. Yeah. And we had a Congress who is ready to elect him or do something with him and make him a hero again. Yeah. These guys all badmouthed him right after the, the uh, 
you know, the uh, riot in the, in the White House. Yeah. But two weeks later, they were all back in this camp. What did you think of that riot and assault on the camp? It was awful. He was going in there to overturn the government. Now, I last spoke with the general back in June of 2020. Uh, it was in the wake of Trump's ugly response to the George Floyd pro- protests. And I just thought, you know, as a leader and obviously um, African-American, this would resonate. So I called him to book him on the show. But in saying no, he invited me into a very long conversation about the nature of purpose, specifically making things better. As he explained to me, you know, exposing lies is good, but just exposing lies, scoring points, uh, that doesn't fix division. Do you want to fix the division? He was very worried that even the well-intentioned weren't helping. Why? He explained to me that people don't change their mind when they're simply told that they're wrong, even if the facts are clear. This is about feelings and politics. Speaking truth, he told me, was only valuable as a change agent when it comes at the right times and in the right way. And while he wasn't sure about what that meant in that crisis after George Floyd, he was sure that the dizzying pace of media and political narratives played more to stoking fires than putting them out. Gotcha mode has got to go, he put it. So he took a pass on the show, but he gifted me with that truth. And so out of respect for that conversation, and you know, it hit me when the general died. I mean, he's such a massive figure. Uh, my father, Mario Cuomo, was a huge fan of his. Uh, you can look online what he said about Powell while he said Powell was perfect for either party, but he wanted him to be a Democrat. Um, but I, I didn't really do with that conversation what I could have or should have. So I'm going to do it now. Out of respect for General Powell, what I just did was report the truth of why he got vaccinated and why he really needed others around him to be vaccinated. Because he, like so many, even though he's a giant and a warrior, was too sick for his body to protect itself, even with the vaccine. That is the truth. And nothing else about his situation is true but that when it comes to the vaccine. So if you respected Powell, respect what the truth was about his life, because that'll make something better. Now, I have a guest with us now for perspective on Powell's life. Powell was a personal mentor to him. Dr. Jerome Adams, Trump's Surgeon General, when COVID arrived in America. What does he make of the vaccine concerns that are being spun out of Powell's death? What does he want you to know about the general? Next. I know what you're hearing, but the fact is anybody who knows what they're talking about, who's trying to make things better, will tell you that Powell's death reinforces exactly why we need to get vaccinations. Because there are a lot of people who need protection and they can't provide it themselves. People like General Colin Powell. Fully vaccinated, 
but he had a bad form of cancer and an advanced case. And he was battling Parkinson's disease and he was 84 years old. He needed those around him to be able to give him protection and they didn't. I'm not talking about his family, God forbid, or anything like that. I'm just saying the data continues to show us the power of vaccines. You can't win on the facts. That's why this is about feel. And you have to ask yourself, why would people on the right, specifically at Fox, Will Cain, John Roberts, why suggest otherwise? John Roberts deleted this tweet. Uh, And that should matter, by the way. And he's tried to walk it back. And that should matter, too. But why would he even think about saying that his death raises new concerns about how effective vaccines are long term? Why make it a legitimate concern when he knows the root of it is illegitimate? And I'm not connecting him or Will or any of the other ones to the big lie. I, I've, I have no reason to do that, especially where John Roberts is involved. But the idea of saying, hey, you know, people have questions about the election. Yeah, because you're telling them they should have questions without basis. That's what's happening here. Hey, you know, this is raising questions, you know, because the people in the primetime lineup who once again, Fox never really tells you that they're not part of the news division, right? It's entertainment. They're just allowing people to entertain you with things that are making you hate other people in this country. So tonight they'll make mention of Powell's age, but nothing of him battling an advanced form of cancer and Parkinson's disease. And that's not just intellectually dishonest. It's proof of somebody who doesn't want to make things better except for themselves and their fortunes. Let's bring in former U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams. Uh, Welcome back to primetime. And, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for the loss of your mentor. And I'm sure as well as you knew him, you could imagine his reaction to people trying to spin uh, the conditions of his demise as some kind of proof about vaccines, one, you know, (laughs) being something that should be, uh, you know, skeptical about. Um, But we'll get to that. You lost a mentor uh, and a man who meant a lot to you. What do you want the audience to know about why Powell was so special to you? Well, thanks for having me on and allowing me to talk a little bit about General Powell. I came from a military family. I grew up idolizing Colin Powell. I didn't care what party he was a part of. I just cared that he was someone who looked like me standing next to the president of the United States. And even in the current administration, the most diverse ever, it's still rare, incredibly rare to see a black man, someone from a group that is more likely to be incarcerated than to be in medical school, being highlighted by the White House. And that's why representation matters. Colin Powell, he paved the way for all black people, Democrats, Republicans, independents, to be able to be in these high profile government positions like Secretary of State, like Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, like Surgeon General. And I think about that every single time someone asks me, why did you stay? I think about Colin Powell. I think about the fact that had he not stayed, and one of the things that he and I often talked about was that how, uh, was how he was often ridiculed, was often um, talked down to because he was part of a Republican administration. When you're the first or the second to do something, there aren't many people you can go to for guidance. And I was blessed. I truly was blessed that General Powell, one of my lowest points when I was being attacked by all sides, 
reached out to me and he said, and he, and he believed in tough medicine. He wasn't easy on me. He's a four-star general. He said to me, you know, public service isn't easy, but it matters. And he, he said, why are you doing this? Are you doing it for the right reasons? He said, are you, do you think you can accomplish more good by staying than by leaving? And you brought up one of the points that he, that he drove home to me. He said, fear of making mistakes is a bigger leadership flaw than making mistakes for the right reasons and then having the courage to own them. And that's something that I really took with me. And I really tried to, to, to live throughout my tenure as Surgeon General, thanks to General Powell. Well, his advice was good, uh, but often it's easy to give advice, hard to follow it. Uh, and he had followed his, his own advice. And if, you, if anybody needs uh, one thing to define why he was relevant politically, find me another man who was coveted as a presidential nominee by both parties. They both wanted him on their tickets to run for president of the United States. There's no one else that I can think of that you can say that about. So just quickly, Jerome, in service uh, to his passing and how he would want it understood, what do you say about the idea that Powell passing while being vaccinated is proof that the vaccination is not necessary? Well, it's absolutely untrue. And we've got people out there who are in the vaccine-resistant crowd. We've got people who have completely uh, different agendas, agendas that have nothing to do with vaccines. And as you, as you mentioned, want to divide us. We really do. But we've got a lot of people out there who are just prone to, uh, to, to react to misinformation, who just need the correct facts. And so to those people out there, to those of you in the movable middle, I want you to know that there have been 7,000 breakthrough deaths since people have been fully vaccinated starting in about January of this year. That's compared to over 300,000 unvaccinated people who've died in this country, 7,000 to 300,000. These vaccines work. Of those breakthroughs, we know about 6,000 of them reported have been people over the age of 65, as General Powell was. We know a disproportionate number of them have been people with comorbidities, as General Powell had. So he was someone who was primed for a breakthrough infection, and he's someone who did what he was supposed to do. He got vaccinated, but he proves that we can't just say we're only going to protect the vulnerable. We're only going to worry about those people getting vaccinated and everyone else doesn't matter. We all matter. And the fact is that General Powell died because we didn't take the proper measures to lower spread in this country. We didn't do everything that we could. And there are just some people out there that can do everything right, but they're still going to be Uh, in jeopardy if we continue to let this virus run unabated. And that is why herd immunity is so important. That's why we all need to get the facts. And then please, please hear me for the sake of General Powell and everyone else out there who's vulnerable and who's doing the right thing. Please consider getting your vaccine if you haven't yet. Dr. Jerome Adams, I'm sorry for your loss, but thank you uh, for honoring the legacy and trying to make things better by telling the truth tonight on this show. I appreciate you, and I wish you well. Thank you. And get your flu shot, too, please, especially this year. Flu shot, get your booster if you can. Get your COVID vaccine if you haven't. Talk to someone you can trust, because this isn't about politics. This is about us really rallying around and making sure the virus is the enemy and taking care of each other. It's about making something better, to quote the general. Take care. A big day in the fight for justice, uh, the start of a process, picking a trial for the Omad Arbery case. You remember him? Black man killed while jogging in Georgia last year. Uh, A case, 
I told you we can't let go, and I won't. The trial began today for the three white men accused of murdering him. Now, Ahmaud Arbery's mother is here tonight, along uh, with the family attorney. They have concerns heading into this trial. Why? Hear for yourself next. Ahmaud Arbery. It's a case we said none of us can let go, and we shouldn't. It's a horrible set of facts. Jury selection began today for the three men charged with chasing him down, murdering him while he was out for a jog in their neighborhood. Gregory McMichael, his son Travis, and their neighbor William Roddy Bryan Jr. are charged with malice and felony murder. They also face charges of aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. The story, and now why? Remember, in a charging document, you go from little to high in almost every uh, jurisdiction. You don't have to just charge the top thing. You can charge all the crimes that go along with it. Um, You got together. You made a plan. You wanted to go after him. You wanted to uh, stop him. You wanted to hurt him. You wanted to kill him. And then you killed him. All of those things can be charged. This story is as much what they did as what it took to get here. 603 days. That's how long ago this video was recorded by one of the defendants. Imagine for your family. You remember his lawyer from one of the defendants who was on this show. He didn't want him uh, to say much. Remember this? All right. Uh, Mr. Brian, you are known as Roddy to friends, correct? That's right. Um, And in the police report, uh, the McMichaels referred to a Roddy. I'm assuming that was you, yes? Okay. Hey, hold on, Chris. Mr. Bryan, uh, how did you come to be in the car videotaping that day? Okay, we're not going there. You don't want to talk about that either. All right, so let's do this. You are afraid of the facts of this case, Counselor White. Sir, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, he is. Or was. He was afraid of winding up exactly where his client is right now. Remember, you have the right to tell people not to speak. We all have a right against self-incrimination. You should think about whether you go on television if you don't want to answer any questions. Because it looks like you've got something to hide. And that's not a legal point. It's a point of perspective that matters in society and it matters in trials as well. It took multiple prosecutors and state intervention to get this case to trial. Why? Because there were people who didn't want to do the right thing. I'm joined now by Ahmad's mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, and the family's attorney, Lee Merritt, uh, whom we should point out is running for attorney general in Texas. Uh, Welcome back uh, to both of you. Thank you, Chris. Um, And what does it mean to you that this trial is finally beginning about who killed your son? I'm very thankful. Um, the, the case has come from a very long way. I'm, I'm pleased in the direction that the, that the case is going into. Well, I never thought that the day that we would pick jurors would come and, and the day has finally come. What should it mean to people about the 603 days, about why it took this long? Do you want to well, uh, it shows it's a reflection of COVID-19 and the delays in the courtroom in that way. 
Uh, but it's also um, where we are in our, our justice system. You know, I, I feel like if the the, the victim was different, uh, if the victim was white, we would have had a much more speedy trial. We often see quicker justice. However, we're glad that we're here today. Are you worried, Wanda, that the jury will be fair? I have my concerns. Um, like you said earlier, it took over 600 days to get to this day. But with that being said, this is the same community that elected D.A. Jackie Johnson out of office. This is the same community that stood outside today as I entered the courtroom rallying for Justice for Ahmad. So I do feel confident that we will have success in this. Mm. Um, Counselor, what does it mean to you that in looking at the laws uh, in this part of the country where this case is going to be tried, that some of these statutes date back to the Civil War? It's something that the Glen County community in South Georgia had to grapple with over the past year, that these archaic laws still existed on the books and that they made black people more vulnerable. So I'm grateful again that the community stood up, finally passed a hate crime statute in Georgia, and that was the work of so many organizers and community supporters, uh, that, the fa- that the community stood up and finally got rid of the citizen's arrest statute. It still exists as a defense on the books, but even on those terms, it doesn't, it will not prove uh, helpful to the McMichaels because they don't even meet the relatively low uh, standards uh, necessary to avail themselves of that defense. Specifically, they are the initial aggressors. And in that law, it says if you're the initial aggressor, you can't then claim self-defense. Counselor, I appreciate you and thank you. Uh, Ms. Jones, Ms. Cooper Jones, uh, I'm so sorry for your loss. I really am. I know this isn't just some trial to you. This is about your son and whether or not his legacy uh, will reflect that there was truth and that there was justice. And we will stay on the story. I promise you that. And God bless the family. And I wish you strength during this process. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right. Be well. All right. Back to COVID and the battle over mandates. More police have died from COVID since the start of this pandemic than from gunfire. Why is there pushback on vaccines in the law enforcement community? We're going to take it to a big city police veteran next. Over the past two years, the leading cause of death for officers in this country was what? Gunfire? No, it was COVID. Yet, you have more and more officers in their unions resisting vaccine mandates. In Chicago, about 4,500 officers ignored a mandate to report their vaccine status last Friday. If the mayor follows through with her threat, roughly 35% of the force could be placed on no pay. That's not going to lead anywhere good. Massachusetts State Police say they're down nearly 600 members. In Seattle, it's 300 and climbing while some Washington state patrol officers are literally signing off. Wish I could say more, but um, this is it. So state 1034, this is the last time you'll hear me in a state patrol car. And Jay Inslee can kiss my ass. Look, you know, we see the same thing when we're dealing with medical workers. You know, just because you work in a hospital or you work in a community as a police officer doesn't mean you're immune from politics. Um, For some more insight on this, let's bring in former police sergeant Cheryl Dorsey. She's also the author of The Confidence Chronicles. It's good to see you, Sarge. 
Good to see you, Chris. Help me understand. Well, you know, I think police officers, by and large, are bothered by the hypocrisy from command staff. They tell us to do one thing, and then they do the complete opposite here in Los Angeles. Our police chief had a video up for the troops telling everybody to go out and get the shot, wear your mask at all times, even when you're off duty. And then you see him on a giant video screen at a Dodgers game, not wearing his mask. And so I think, you know, if they want officers to comply with this alleged mandate, they need to be better at the messaging. So it's an and though, right? Uh, It's uh, you say, but you don't do, but there's got to be something else. Um, Is this just politics, you know, bleeding its way through policing that, yeah, they're, they're peace officers, they're policemen and women, but they're also citizens and they have their own politics. I just don't understand why people who take an oath to protect and serve don't see the protection and service involved in getting vaccinated. Well, I think it's a compilation of things. And so let's not pretend that there aren't, you know, uh, police officers out there active duty who uh, bought into believe the big lie. Uh, These are, you know, some of them Trump supporters and and by that own affiliation are questioning and not believing uh, the science and the, the, the information that's being disseminated about this. I mean, we saw law enforcement uh, in the January 6th insurrection. And so I think a lot of that has to do with the way p- police officers are politically leaning. Mm. So what is the solution? Uh, if people don't like the idea that you're being told you have to do this, but you're only being told you have to do this because you wouldn't do it of your own volition, where does that leave us? I think we're going to have to see who blinks first. And listen, I mean, police officers have, uh, you know, uh, rights and due process and there's, uh, you know, city charters and police officer bill of rights and memorandum of understanding. I mean, there's a plethora of things that um, would prevent a police department from just willy nilly firing somebody because they won't get vaccinated. And to say that, you know, there's a rash of resignations. I mean, that officer that we heard on the radio with that final uh, fare thee well, if you will, had 22 years on the job. Right. I mean, so he's a tenured officer. You're going to have early retirements is what's going to happen. And I don't think that this is sustainable for police departments across these 18,000 to bring in alleged uh, um, National Guards to fill in the gap. Wow. That's, yeah, that, that, that has a lot of problems that go along with it. They're not trained as uh, peace officers. Um, you know that, Sarge. So you're a mayor. What do you do? Well, uh, you need to sit down and have a real conversation and find out what the angst is that your patrol officers have. Uh, Your police chief needs to have a better way of communicating what it is that he needs and why. And you need to get compliance. You need to get compliance to think now that officers are being retaliated against. And I imagine that, you know, blue flu is a thing. You understand that. And when you start talking about not paying officers, when you start talking about pulling the elephant hunters out of patrol and putting them on the desk, You're going to have rebellion. Mm. How is it that police departments can pull an officer out of the field for not being vaccinated, but an officer can rank up, you know, 20 plus personnel complaints, kill people at will (laughs) over and over again, and you don't get them out of patrol. So I'm sure all of that is off putting priorities. You know, maybe instead of saying no pay, maybe you get a bonus if you get the vaccine. Uh, Maybe we go back to the carrot and the stick. All right. I'm out of time. Uh, Sergeant Dorsey, thank you as always. Be well, stay healthy. Thank you. We'll be right back with the handoff. You too. 
Don Lemon tonight with its big star, D. Lemon, right now. When, when you politicize someone's death, especially someone like Colin Powell, you know, you say the saying, jump the shark, you know, you jumped, you know, you've jumped really all humanity when you can't wait to politicize a death about something that you need in order to um, corrupt and exploit your viewers, lead them down the primrose path. I just found it to be disgusting. I cannot believe it happened. You know, every day I'm even more surprised uh, when that happens. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I knew that as soon as there was an opportunity, people would take the fact that... Two seconds after he died? Absolutely. That he died. Because what do you value? If you only value advantage and not, to quote General Powell, whether or not you're making things better, um, then of course you would. This was ripe for being, on for being twisted. But there is no shame in their game. We're talking about the Fox Propaganda Network. And, and look, and other, and you know, other, and, and other contingents and of yeah. the fringe right, which is where they make leverage off of misgivings. Uh, in division, this is just your typical old addition by subtraction, what they're doing. And it works. And I had to deal with questions today from people saying, uh, whoa, I mean, you know, he was vaccinated. What does that tell you? Well, he had cancer, too. He had cancer. Why, why don't they and tell other, you? And yeah. Parkinson's. And, and he was 84. Thank you. And he was getting treatments. And he was, you know, he was weak. That's why. And it was important for the people around him to be vaccinated, even more so. That's right. And by the way, you know, and I know this is true for Don also. I'm not talking about his family or his friends. No. I don't know who he was exposed to. Right. I'm just saying that one of the reasons that you got to get vaccinated is you don't know who you're going to expose mm-hmm. uh, to what's going on with you. But look, I, I think that ultimately uh, the way he died and people trying to make it into something else, that was happening to him his entire life. His entire life, people were trying to define him wrongly for their own purposes. Mm -hmm. And he overcame every time. And hey, you know, 84 years old, you got cancer, you got Parkinson's, and he was still battling on driving in his own Corvette uh, to treatments. Mm -hmm. He was a singular man. You want to hear something trippy? Yeah. I got something, too, that I want to say. 1995. Yeah. Okay. This is my father. May he rest in peace his pitch to get Powell as a Democrat. Uh, remember, <laughs> Colin Powell, you need to know one thing about Colin Powell that makes him better than everybody else in politics. Find me another guy that both parties wanted yeah. as the head of their ticket. He's a natural Democrat, right on all the issues. Listen to this in 95, what he said the issues were. Affirmative action, which is another way of saying systemic inequality, gun control, and environment. His message is just right, that you should treat everyone as being in one family. He represents what, uh, what the country wants most of all. They don't want Democrats. They don't want Republicans. They don't want politicians. They want strength and sweetness in a candidate. Mm. Powell is strength and sweetness personified. He's a general, a son of immigrants, and is compassionate. He has everything. Yeah. 95. Yeah. Same issues that we're confronting today. And your dad is right. It's, and it's right along with my politics. They don't want Democrats. They don't want Republicans. They want human beings. And they want compassionate people and people who see other people's humanity. So, yeah, look. And let me tell you, I, have, I also have a story. It's not, well, it is trippy. Um, because growing up, you know, this little kid who came from maybe the wrong side of the tracks, right? Or, you know, some people would think that. I don't actually think that. But I grew up in Louisiana. Came from nothing. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting at a ta- dinner table. 
just someone invited me over and said, I want you to come to dinner tonight and we have some special guests. And I said, okay. And I get there. Guess who I'm sitting with? Colin Powell. Colin Powell. Alma Powell. And Tony Blair. I was like, wait, did you mean, did you mean Don Lemon? It was just someone else. Well, I got to tell you, I got to know him and his wife a little bit socially. I didn't know them that well. But I would see them and they were very kind and we'd have conversations. The nicest, most down-to-earth people you will ever meet. Humble, humble, humble to the very end. Even though the guy had seen and experienced everything and had met everybody under the sun. Not an ounce of pretense. He and his wife. So, Alma Powell, I'm so sorry for your loss and, and the entire family. But I think it's really important that this fight about, you know, uh, what it means, his passing is a good fight. I mean, the guy Mm -hmm. was completely committed to making things better and speaking truth when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. Uh, And he did something, again, you know, if you want a second reason that he was better than so many in his generation politically, he owned making a big mistake in selling uh, the war to Iraq. Yeah. He Uh, said, I was wrong. I regret it. He owned it. And let me tell you, very few in that administration, I would argue actually none, uh, owned it the way he did. Can you imagine now someone in the prior administration saying, or the prior guy saying, oh, I was wrong, I, uh, I made a mistake, and, you know, the information was wrong, and I regret that? I can't imagine anybody doing it in any reason now, but we're also in a different time, you know? Yeah. I don't, you know, Colin Powell uh, had just about everything coming after him that you could have uh, in this country, but he didn't have social media, <laughs> you know, <laughs> until what he said about January 6th, yeah. and people came after him a little bit about yeah. that, but he's a made man. Um, by that. But look, everybody's vulnerable. But I will tell you, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason. And him passing now in the midst of this in the way that he did, it is a really powerful reminder about what's supposed to matter right now. Yeah. And his life, I hope, stands as testament to what we're lacking. As they say, God rest his soul and may others, may his memory be a blessing to us all. Thank you, brother. I love you. Love you. Nice tribute to him as well and to your dad as well. Thank you. I love you as well. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.